Texas Governor Greg Abbott has raised a very important point. He is asking, why the focus so much on Ukraine when Texas border and many other south, southern and southeastern and southwestern states are facing an endless flow of criminal activity and an invasion from Mexico, where the borders along the Gulf Coast are also facing a massive infusion of illegals, both workers and drugs, taxing our situation with criminal activity at a level that is unprecedented throughout the United States. And don't just look at the southern borders. New York, Vermont, Maine are all experiencing an increased surge in crime, much of it fueled by narcotics flooded across the borders from Canada. While Canada is tied down with their own internal problems, the gangs and gangsters seem to be moving more product into the United States. Ukraine? What about Ukraine? What about the USA, Mr. Biden? That is what Texas Governor Greg Abbott is saying, and something indeed that needs to be raised. Let's listen to Governor Abbott now in his press conference from Austin. But even more dangerous than what we're seeing because of defunding police uh, is what we're seeing because uh, of the open border policies imposed by the Biden administration and supported by Beto. It is reckless. It is dangerous and completely unnecessary. Remember this. It was just over a year ago uh, at the end of the, the tenure of President Trump. We had the lowest border crossings in decades for four simple reasons. Uh, the remaining Mexico policy, the Title 42 policy, uh, the end of catch and release and building the border wall. Those four strategies worked to reduce border crossings. And, and then, and then when, when Biden came in, he gutted those four strategies. He opened up the border to anybody who wanted to come across. People have come across the border from more than 150 different countries across the globe, including people coming across our border from terrorist-sponsored nations. You know, it's kind of ironic that uh, when we deal with terror, and, and countries that are hostile to the United States, we have uh, Biden transfixed on what's going on between Russia and the Ukraine and the border between the two, when in reality, the President Biden needs to be focused on sending resources to his own border of the United States and Mexico. Well, well te Texas, Texas is stepping up and, and doing what the Biden administration should do. Texas is prioritizing securing the border. Uh, they, the, the legislators who are here today and the entire legislature, uh, they, they provided more than $3 billion for Texas to do the federal government's job to secure the border, and that includes having 10,000 National Guard guarding the border as we gather in Houston today. Give it up for our great Texas National Guard who are working to secure the border. And they're, they're working alongside the Texas Department of Public Safety, and they are making arrests of people coming across the border. We converted two prisons into jails uh, so that we would be able to jail all the people that we are arresting down there. We are arresting people for, for human smuggling, for the, the, the trafficking of drugs, the trafficking of the drug fentanyl. Fentanyl, if you don't know this, you need to know it because fentanyl is being brought into Houston, Texas. Two milligrams of fentanyl, uh, which is as small as two grains of salt, is a deadly dose. And Texas law enforcement has seized enough fentanyl to kill 
every man, woman, and child in Texas, California, New York, Illinois, and Florida combined. This is something that Joe Biden is doing absolutely nothing about. Uh, The only people doing anything about it are the people of the great state of Texas trying to seize this fentanyl and to shut it down. And then on top of that, yes, Texas is building our own border wall. We, we are, we're using the same type of wall structure that was used by President Trump, uh, these enormous panels that are more than 30 feet tall. So imagine uh, at least maybe three times as high uh, as the ceiling right above us here today, uh, made out of the same uh, metal fabrication, et cetera. And they add these panels uh, hour after hour, day after day. Uh, and it got a little bit easier for us because you remember some of those materials that were laying on the ground uh, that the Trump administration had left behind with your taxpayer dollars and the Biden administration was not using. We were able to, to get some of those panels and the panels that Biden had left on the ground, we are now putting up on the wall in Texas, making the Texas border wall even longer. But listen, there, there, there's more than just your safety that's on the ballot this election. Your very freedom is on the ballot this election. You know, when we think about freedom, you think about what's in the the First Amendment, for example. What the First Amendment represents is protecting your freedom of speech as well as your freedom of religion. Let's go back in time to my prior office. I want to remind people of something because there's an anniversary coming up. Well, not 30 years. Uh, 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 But uh, So here's what happened. When, When I was the Attorney General, uh, at, at the time, there was a monument on the Texas Capitol grounds, and that monument is about 10 feet tall, higher than I could even reach, and, and etched onto that monument are the Ten Commandments. And there was an atheist crossing the Texas Capitol grounds, and he asked a federal court to tear down that monument. I argued that case all the way to the United States Supreme Court. That argument took place on Texas Independence Day. Uh, uh, And we didn't know until later, until June when the decision came out, uh, that on that day we won that argument and we won our independence to continue to display the Ten Commandments monument on the Texas Capitol grounds where it still stands today. Well, listen, uh, Beto O'Rourke doesn't agree with with the, the same commitment to the religious values and principles that have shaped the state of Texas because when he was running for president, He said uh, that he would eliminate the tax-exempt status of churches that refuse to bow down to his woke left agenda. I will not let that happen in our great state. To, To the contrary, I signed a law prohibiting any public official at any level from ever closing down our churches and denying you the right to go worship God Almighty. And after the First Amendment comes the Second Amendment. We all know what Bethel said about the Second Amendment. He's he's going to come and confiscate your guns. That is outrageous that someone who wants to be a public official wants to deny you your Second Amendment rights. I have signed 20 laws protecting your Second Amendment rights in the great state of Texas. So let me just close with this. We, we need to understand what's going on in this election process because there is a greater divide 
between the, the candidates uh, who are going to be running uh, for governor in November. Uh, one is a far-left radical socialist, uh, and, and the other is a conservative who believes in the values of Texas. There's, there's something true about everybody in this room. You all love and you know that America is the greatest country in the history of the entire world. And I think that I can tell by your reaction, there's some people in this room who may even think that you may love Texas as much, if not more, than you love the United States of America. But you need to know this also, uh, and, and that is there are people running for office this election, people running for governor this election, who want to rewrite the past of the United States and redesign its future to look more like their socialistic vision. And guess what? We are going to band together, and we are not going to let these radical leftists take over our great state. We're going to beat them at the ballot box this November. And when we work together, knocking on doors, making phone calls, turning out the vote, when we do everything that's necessary to win, we are going to keep Texas the best state in the greatest country in the history of the entire world. God bless you all. God bless the great state of Texas. Some believe it is largely smoke and mirrors that is happening between uh, the situation in Kiev in which it seems that while people are worried, so far attacks on the city and other parts of Ukraine outside of the breakaway regions near the Soviet Union, or rather Russia, and provinces that were formerly settled during the era of the Soviet Union by mostly ethnic Russians have been largely left alone. Although a wider expansive region is expected to be taken until Russia maintains a wider control area that reaches up to the northern section of the Crimea region that it earlier had seized in 2014. A lot of this is seen as the basis for a statement that was a slip-up made by the president, Joe Biden, when he said it is likely over a month ago that Putin was to invade and take a small section of the area. It is believed this was a small signal, a token, sent and given to those people. What will follow, of course, will be sanctions, but then eventually end in negotiated referendum. And these areas, much like other areas seized by Russia, Crimea, earlier in 2014, and a section of Georgia, as well as Azerbaijan and other areas, including areas in the Tashkent region in Siberia. There are continuous moves by Russia to take these steps. A recent series of fighting between former Soviet republics near the borders of Afghanistan seem to echo this and showed signs that Russia is creating small buffer states, small independent or autonomous regions, which they recognize. It is unclear if this is a negotiated goal and allowing the West to sanction them for these movements in exchange for eventual energy sales, but largely seen as efforts that are not being accepted broadly by most of NATO. The UK, France, Spain, and other countries are increasingly worried 
where will it stop? How far will Russia move forward? And in fact, if Vladimir Putin follows this pattern, how much longer before he begins knocking on the doors of the Baltic states, or Finland, Sweden, and other nations that it borders? Something also that China is closely watching in its talks with Russia. China, which has increasingly taken disputed territories in other parts of the world, should keep an open eye, because what happens in Ukraine could happen to them. Well, distinguished members of the Security Council, Secretary General, Under Secretary, before I try to deliver parts of the statement that I came here with tonight, most of it is already useless since uh, 10 p.m. New York time. I would like to cite Article 4 of the UN Charter, and it says, membership in the United Nations is open to all other peace-loving states which accept the obligations contained in the present charter and in the judgment of the organization are able and willing to carry out these obligations. Russia is not able to carry out any of the obligations. The ambassador of the Russian Federation three minutes ago confirmed that his president declared a war on my country. So before I read parts of my statement, I would like to avail of the presence of the Secretary General and request the Secretary General to distribute among the members of the Security Council and the members of the General Assembly the legal memos by the Legal Council of the United Nations dated December 1991 and in particular the legal memo dated 19th of December 1991 the one that we've been trying to get out of the Secretariat for a very long time and we were denied to get it. The Article 4, Paragraph 2 of the Charter reads, the admission of any such state to membership in the United Nations will be affected by a decision of the General Assembly upon the recommendation of the Security Council. Mr. Secretary-General, please instruct the Secretariat to distribute among the members of the Security Council and the members of the General Assembly a decision by the Security Council dated December 1991 that recommends that the Russian Federation can be a member of this organization as well as a decision by the General Assembly dated December 1991, where General Assembly welcomes the Russian Federation to this organization. 
it would be a miracle if the Secretariat is able to produce such decisions. There is nothing in the Charter of the United Nations about continuity as a sneaky way to get into the organization. So when I was coming here an hour ago or so, I was intending to ask the Russian ambassador to confirm on the record that the Russian troops will not start firing at Ukrainians today and go ahead with the offensive. It became useless 48 minutes ago. Because about 48 minutes ago, your president declared the war on Ukraine. So now I would like to ask the ambassador of the Russian Federation to say on the record that at this very moment, your troops do not shell and bomb Ukrainian cities. That your troops do not move in the territory of Ukraine. You have a smartphone, you can call Lavrov right now. We can make a pause to let you go out and call him. If you are not in a position to give an affirmative answer, the Russian Federation ought to relinquish responsibilities of the President of the Security Council pass these responsibilities on to a legitimate member of the Security Council, a member that is respectful of the Charter. And I ask the members of Security Council to convene an emergency meeting immediately and consider all necessary draft decisions to stop the war. Because it's too late, my dear colleagues, to speak about de-escalation. Too late. The Russian president declared the war on the record. Should I play the video of your president? Ambassador, shall I do that right now? Or you can confirm it? Do not interrupt me, please. Thank you. Then don't ask me questions when you are speaking. Proceed with your Anyway, you declare the war. It is the responsibility of this body to stop the war. So I call on every one of you to do everything possible to stop the war. Or should I play the video with your president declaring the war? Thank you very much. I must say that I thank the representative of Ukraine for his statement and the questions I wasn't planning to answer them because I've already said all I know at this point. Waking up Minister Lavrov at this time is not something I plan to do. You said the information that we have will be something we provide. And this isn't called a war, this is called a special military operation in the Donbass. I now give the floor to the representative of Germany. Former U.S. President, and often cited himself as the persecuted-in-chief at this point in time, faces at least one less prosecution. That is, 
from the Southern District of New York and Cyrus Vance, where it seems that the Manhattan prosecutors who were leading the charge in alleged criminal cases versus the Trump Organization have suddenly and unexplainedly resigned. It is believed that much of this is a result of work of the special prosecutor that was appointed prior to President Trump stepping down and reaffirmed by Joe Biden. It would seem that many of the cases that were prepared and brought forth are now being looked at again with one very clear element, and that is much of it was prepared on the basis of political opposition work and not legal prosecution for cases or violations of law. It's not new that prosecutors have been used. This has happened from many times in the past. In fact, it is common in New York politics, actually, to have used this. Quite a number of district attorney positions, as well as attorney general posts, have led to the governor's mansion, a senate seat, or other areas. One could look at former governor Andrew Cuomo, who was, after all, an attorney general. Prior to that, you had Governor Stanakis, Panakis, or whatever his name is. I can't already pronounce it. But when he was running and was in the governor's mansion until he unfortunately fell afoul of exposure from his use of call girls in Washington apartments, it eventually led to his embarrassing resignation. However, what was seen from all of that was the movement and steps forward that eventually led to George Pataki resigning. It was a sad development at that time, but it started with his prosecution of other officials in the past when he was in the Attorney General's office. The cycle seems to continuously go that way. Prosecution, persecution. What is the reason? It is unclear if indeed these resignations are anything more than a career move for many of these men who have been involved in other things. After all, the continuous prosecution of Donald Trump is something that has almost become a cottage industry among Democrats, whether they be lawyers or others. Two Manhattan prosecutors leading the Trump Organization probe have resigned. It is unclear at this point in time no statements have been made about it. Very little, in fact, is reported in the national media. And much of this is being raised as people are wondering what exactly is going on in this issue. Overshadowed by the events in Ukraine, this should have been one of the biggest stories, much like that of the Hillary Clinton lawyer's indictment with her leading efforts, it would seem, or her campaign, rather, leading efforts to create situations wherein the Trump campaign was spied upon by hired operatives who data mined internet use and in fact may have actually used wiretaps illegally obtained somehow from potential law enforcement allies. The case is developing. It is broadly widening. Let's listen to what happened in this instance. Two prosecutors heading the Manhattan District Attorney's offices probe into the Trump Organization called It Quits on Wednesday 
throwing the case into question. Did his office confirm the resignations of Mark Pomerantz and Carrie Dunn? A source told the Post that the prosecutors jointly stepped down, stressing that the coordinated nature of the departures was a sign of intense frustration with the direction of the case. We are grateful for their service, DA spokeswoman Danielle Felsen said in a statement. She declined to comment further, saying the probe is ongoing. The investigation into former President Donald Trump was launched in 2018 under then DA Cyrus Vance, who charged the Trump Organization and its longtime chief financial officer Alan Weisselberg with tax fraud last June. Vance convened another grand jury before new district attorney Alvin Bragg took over in January. Dunn, who joined the office in 1984 and served as Vance's general counsel, had overseen the investigation from the outset, successfully arguing before the U.S. Supreme Court for Trump's tax records. Pomerantz, a former federal prosecutor in Manhattan and criminal defense attorney, was brought on by Vance last year to join the probe. Neither immediately returned messages. The New York Times, which first reported the move, said it came after Bragg suggested to the attorneys that he had doubts about moving forward. Prosecutors had been questioning witnesses before the grand jury until about a month ago, essentially stopping the investigation, according to the Times. Without Pomerantz and Dunn there to steer the probe, its future is uncertain. It is most likely that the Trump Organization may sue, in fact, the state of New York, if indeed this can be proven. It was political prosecution and persecution instead of in search of justice and law. It is only right if that should happen. One can speculate on where this direction is headed, but if indeed these prosecutors were used for political gains versus an organization and man whose only crime was running against the Democratic Party, and standing up to it in New York State and across the nation, then indeed something needs to be done. Because that's the American way. Justice indeed must be served, regardless of who is being affected and becoming a victim of injustice and prosecution that is bordering on persecution versus individuals who essentially and always must be remembered and looked upon as innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. Many of the leakages and documents in this Trump case have led to a massive amount of information versus the former president and his family and as well as his business organizations. The potential for lawsuits and damages after this botched prosecution will probably take years to decide. It's unclear if Trump himself will just want to call it quits and walk away step back, or whether in fact he too will seek justice, and not just a new position in a new election to come in 2022 and 2024 and beyond. Trump in fact had to leave the state of New York, largely because of this prosecution and moved to Mar-a-Lago in Florida. It had been a long time since New York City had a sitting president as among its residents. Trump could have, and still can, help the city very much with its need for direction and redevelopment in the wake of the COVID crisis. It was Trump and others like him 
in the 80s and early 90s, who led to wide development moves throughout New York City that revitalized it during an earlier crisis period in the city's history. His return may be signaled by the failure of prosecutors in these alleged cases that have since gone nowhere.